0: Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining. This is Crypto Gordon Freeman with the fourth episode. Thank you so much for joining the Club 21M podcast. I'm your host, Crypto Gordon Freeman. So this is a special episode and intentionally following episode three, which was a little bit of my commentary and thinking through recent events, always looking at our time, our place in history. Now I do want to go ahead and get into some defining of things, go into some definitions. So this should be helpful for the interested beginner, but I'm also going to look at definitions with some of my own thoughts and commentary intermingled. So instead of you're just going to do a Google search and quickly grab the same, if you're here out of an interest to learn some stuff you may or may not know, then please stick around. And as always, please, if you wouldn't mind, that'd be great. If you get something from this, I'm starting pretty much from scratch trying to grow this channel. So if you would subscribe, like, share, ring the bell. Uh, Ringing the bell means that you will know when I put another one of these things out. And sharing is probably the most important thing that you can do. If you get something from this, if you know somebody else that would benefit from learning, that would be great. And a special thanks to and shout out to Archangel Alts. So today's episode is about proof of work and proof of stake. So they're probably the two main categories of things that you'll want to understand dealing with the underlying mechanisms that are used to make all this crypto stuff work. What's running this engine across all these networks of things? So I'll let you know, full disclosure, Investopedia is a great site. They're not a sponsor, but I find that even though they're good for just straightforward beginner-level introductory definitions of things. Man, is it a qualitative and quantitative source. So I have no problem saying right up front. I just, I love them to help with definitions of things. So I will have a link in the description to their pages on proof of work and proof of stake, and I'm going to be reading right from them. So here we go, proof of work first. So you'll know proof of work because of Bitcoin, but it's not the only one. And we're going to the reason that I want to start here, as opposed to going through the entire list of defining all of the different crypto related things, is that I always take a perspective of where we are in history and the regulatory side of things is just going to continue to escalate. And as people make careless moves into pump and dump schemes. It's going to provide a cover for legislators to move heavier, to clamp down on things that are a threat to centralized banking. And the schemes, whether you like them or not, the schemes that are used to cleverly overproduce money sources lending sources borrowing sources that ultimately devalue the base level currency fiat currency it's going down in value as they print more but printing is only one of the major problems that are involved in the system and there are some very 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 clever people in cryptography who for years have been looking at why there should be not just how but why there should be solutions to such things in our system so proof of work is probably going to be the most under fire i would say equally matched to stable coins because they both come after the efforts of transferring our economies over to a digital based fiat currency meaning cbdc's or central bank digital currencies so everything from money laundering to ransomware to electricity use are all valid concerns that have been there for 10 years, 11 years, 12 years. They're only really, really concerned about it now that we're post-2020 and the data collection phase of things is more necessary for governments to clamp down and directly from the World Economic Forum to be able to instigate the Great Reset, which has been called 2030 Agenda for years before that, which has been called Agenda 21 for more than decades before that so this is not hidden stuff this is not conspiracy theory it's conspiratorial real things going on and they matter so they're important to understand and if you are a believer in freedom and decisions and individual property rights lots of things that i think matter to some people then you're going to want to understand this stuff and this is your time to understand it so proof of work proof of work describes a system that requires a non-insignificant but feasible interesting wording, amount of effort in order to deter frivolous or malicious uses of computing power, such as sending spam mails, launching denial-of-service attacks, concept was adopted and adapted into digital money by Hal Finney in 2004 through the idea of reusable proof of work using SHA-256 hashing algorithm. Hal Finney could be looked at as the grandfather of Bitcoin and subsequent cryptocurrencies. Uh, he certainly was one of the most direct, respected, and important figures in helping Bitcoin adoption when it went from you know zero to being worth a dollar, let's say. So, following its introduction in 2009, Bitcoin became the first widely adopted application of Finney's proof-of-work idea. Finney was also the recipient of the first Bitcoin transaction. Uh, So these are things that you would not find people debating. These are things that are based in fact. I don't think that anybody would argue against these. So we're talking about digitalized, decentralized networks of consensus. So one of the things that I'm going to draw together, proof of work and proof of stake, towards the end of this, once I have defined both of them, is to look at the difference between centralization, decentralization, And consensus. So, in fact, I'm going to pull up a definition of consensus for us right now. So, extremely simply put, and thank you, Google, uh, consensus is a general agreement. One could say a consensus view. Let's not make it any more complicated than that. So, proof of work is a decentralized consensus mechanism that requires members of a network to expend effort solving an arbitrary mathematical puzzle to prevent anybody from gaming the system proof of work is used widely in crypto specifically mining for validating transactions and mining new tokens due to proof of work bitcoin and other cryptocurrency transactions can be processed peer-to-peer in a secure manner without the need for a trusted third party so we're thinking bitcoin litecoin and a lot of the early Bitcoin hard forks, new coins that wanted to come out directly on the same protocol. Proof-of-work at scale requires huge amounts of energy, which only increases as more miners join the network. Proof-of-stake was one of several novel consensus mechanisms created as an alternative to proof-of-work. So understanding proof-of-work, this explanation will focus on the proof-of-work as it functions in the Bitcoin network. So we're talking in a distributed ledger known as blockchain, Uh, with a record of all transactions, sequential blocks. The blockchain is the ledger, and uh, these are sequential blocks where nobody can spend their holdings twice. So it it is designed to eliminate the double spend problem. Uh, To prevent tampering, the ledger is public or distributed. An altered version would quickly be rejected by other users. So blockchain is designed for security, for efficiency, but also um, to make sure to reject anything that is not accurate information. So sequence is one of the protective measures that blockchain uses. The way that users detect tampering in practice is through hashes, long strings of numbers that serve as proof of work. But a given set of data through a hash function will only generate one hash. Due to the avalanche effect, however, even a tiny change to any portion of the original data will result in a totally unrecognizable hash. Whatever the size of the original data set, the hash generated by a given function will be the same length. So all of the encrypted hash function data is the exact same length, which reduces memory buildup over time. It makes it possible for them to then create, I believe what they called Merkle trees, which is you don't have to verify every single thing at the base level structure. There's a slightly higher level structure used to verify and store everything as history proceeds. You have you know hundreds of gigabytes worth of data that could become uh, too big and slow. So Bitcoin's structure is designed to remain efficient as time goes on and more transactions happen every day. It's also capable of keeping up with faster computers, faster hard drives, etc. So the idea of work in proof of work is, you know, this is all about validation. This is proving that transactions are the real deal and that they happened when it says that they happened. So people can't fake out the network. But it also needs to be at a set level of difficulty so that people can't unfairly weight the system against other people in the mining network. So this is, think of it almost like a programmed fairness taking place. So a new block is being mined essentially every 10 minutes. Setting difficulty is done by creating a difficulty target for the hash. Uh, The lower the target, the smaller the set of valid hashes, and the harder it is to generate. In practice, this means a hash that starts with a very long string of zeros. So the very first use of proof of work was designed to be a solution to the early internet days growing problems of spam email. So I guess in some ways we have Richard Hart to thank for this. (laughs) Uh, I'm, I'm joking, but not really. Uh, Richard Hart was like the first he one of his uh, claims to fame, which are true, is he is the first person to be sued for spam mail. So he doesn't hide it, and I think it's kind of funny. So you learn as you go, right? So I think that there's some technicalities you really don't need to know. You could learn about number used once nonce, which is um, used to just help make sure that hashes work the way that they're supposed to do. But you know, this is not everything you need to know to program your own proof of work. So on average, someone will generate acceptable proof of work every 10 minutes, but who it will be is anyone's guess. Miners pool together to increase their chances of mining blocks, which generates transaction fees and, for a limited time, a reward of newly created Bitcoins. Now, I like the way that Investopedia puts this because this is going to be true five years from now, 10 years from now. The reward that is paid to those who find a block, miners who find a block, is paid in Bitcoin that amount is going to get cut in half every three to four years Um, and it could be more than four years it depends on the difficulty and exactly how long it takes to get to a certain block so this is specific to proof of work in bitcoin Um, rewards are paid out in bitcoin they're hard to get and as they get more tough over many, many blocks down the road, you also get paid less of them. And this is meant to scale with Moore's Law and other things that factor in the belief that as the mining network grows, there's more competition. There would be more of an industrialized type of mining as opposed to lots and lots of individuals. And as the cost goes up from thousands to tens of thousands, to hundreds of thousands, millions, uh, that you're going to have more and more need for it to be very hard for any one group to gain together to gain control of the network. So one of the misconceptions out there is that mining pools are a dangerous side effect of a good protocol that it can lead to centralization. And I would argue in the exact opposite way. Um, People who cannot afford to run a mining farm of their own, but they want to be in the game, will join mining pools. And somebody might have a powerful computer with a two to $3,000 GPU. I think that's a fair assessment. Um, and want to get involved in mining Bitcoin. And there's absolutely no way they're ever going to have enough power uh, to grab one of those blocks for themselves. So they join a mining pool where a lot of other people in the same boat can join that pool. Now, these are people who could be anywhere around the world but they are contributing to the mining process and they are getting a small percentage of the award. at some point in time, all of these individuals ganged up together will be able to win a reward. So if there's a hundred of them, they would be splitting six Bitcoins across a hundred people until the next time where that's divided in half. And I think it would be, what if it's 6.25 right now, then you know it would be three and some change in a few years, a couple of years. So the point being that let's say that there are also new operations that come out that They have a few hundred thousand dollars to invest, but they could certainly use more power than, you know, power in the network, not just electricity, but uh, power to move some of those blocks in their direction to win a few blocks. Um, They're going to have to score a few times here and there in order to be able to afford all their equipment. But they're not big enough to compete against 10 million, 100 million dollar operations, well, why wouldn't they start up a mining pool and set up really good terms for others to add their power to the network? Uh, it's kind of the same way of looking at you know, cloud computing. One of the things that we risk is that if we all become dependent on a one-way process where there's somebody serving us the necessary programming on a cl- cloud computing side of things, and we're able to run it from our side, so we get a lot of benefits from that, but we also become very dependent on the source. Uh, where in the old days you would get a computer however powerful you needed to run the software that you need. So as things become cheaper and it becomes easier access to run decent computers for not a lot of money, uh, we're willing to pay a really low subscription fee to have massive power and lots of software. Uh, but the long play over time is we're handing our dependence over to absolutely centralized groups of developers. So there are things that absolutely would, it would be great if we had more small and medium-sized uh, cloud companies that have lots of good servers and they have a good customer reputation uh, to where they can compete more with the terms that a person would get with Amazon, with Google, with Microsoft. Uh, I think that there are types of centralization that are absolutely a problem. I'm just not sure that the Bitcoin mining pools are where the big issue stands. Now, if you have a weaker coin like BSV, I always put that pause there because right puts the BS and BSV. Uh, Bitcoin Satoshi's vision is supposed to be V in quotes, real Bitcoin. It's not. Uh, and it just got 51% attacked, meaning that uh, someone in one mining group was able to take control of the network. And at one point they grew to 92, 93% of the entire network. And I think that that, thing, that kind of thing can happen, that kind of centralization, let's say, uh, can happen easier when you have less global interest in a coin. So it's not just about working proof of work to gain rewards, but it's also who shows the most reputable interest in that project. And I think that's the thing is that when you have something that is highly centralized, like what, 30, 40% of the Bitcoin network having been in China, and that gets banned and broken up, uh, it could be a good thing if that equipment goes to multiple different states and even a few different countries. Uh, But is it necessarily good if the people themselves choose to leave China to go set up camp in other places? It could very possibly be an actual political play for control. Uh, It may be based on the launching of the digital yuan, and it may actually be a very clever Stalin-like kind of uh, foreign Marxist move. So lots of things are possible in this world. And very few of those types of things would actually be the fault of the design behind proof of work. The math and the science are pretty darn good. So proof of work makes it hard to alter anything in the blockchain. And without going into the specifics of why that's difficult, a lot of the outsider looking in thought process of, well, couldn't somebody do this? Well, couldn't somebody do that? And then wouldn't that be a bad thing? It has been designed to de-incentivize somebody to do bad things to the network. Yes, there could be somebody that could gang up millions, tens of millions of dollars and do bad things to the network. And it's very likely that it just becomes exceedingly more costly to them to try to accomplish that. And then once they've accomplished that, they've essentially shot themselves in the foot to get no actual value out of it. So the main reasons that anybody would want to harm a huge powerful proof-of-work network are things that would actually negate their purpose by accomplishing doing so and eventually you would have a very quick move to consensus from everybody else who wasn't involved to reclaim the network proof of work requires a computer to randomly engage in hashing functions until it arrives at an output with the correct minimum amount of leading zeros Stuff that you probably don't care about knowing a whole lot. And I think I've talked about some of this stuff. So a few factoids on proof of work. What does proof of work mean? Proof of work requires nodes on a network to provide evidence that they have expended computational power, which is the work, in order to achieve consensus in a decentralized manner and to prevent bad actors from overtaking the network. How does proof of work validate a crypto transaction? The work itself is arbitrary. With Bitcoin, it's SHA-256 hashing algos. The winner of a round of hashing aggregates and records transactions from the mempool. Mempool is where all the transactions are waiting to have somebody do something for them. Because the winner is randomly chosen proportional to the work that is done, it incentivizes everybody on the network to act honestly and record only true transactions. Why does crypto need proof of work? Because they're decentralized and peer-to-peer by design. Blockchains such as crypto networks require some way of achieving both consensus and security. So everybody in the network needs to agree on the same thing. And the network needs to be kept secure. So you have proof mechanisms uh, like proof of stake, proof of burn, proof of a lot of different things. And we're going to specifically talk about proof of stake as a comparison. as we. Shift over to the definition of proof of stake. Proof of stake is a consensus mechanism that randomly assigns the node that will mine or validate block transactions according to how many coins that node holds. The more tokens held in a wallet, the more mining power is effectively granted to it. While POS, (laughs) proof of stake is far less resource intensive, which environmentalists ESG concerned folks would prefer. It has several other flaws, including a greater chance of a 51% attack in smaller altcoins and incentives to hoard tokens and not use them. Okay, very important things because, first of all, one of them deals with security and centralization, and the other one deals with the actual economics of the flow of the coins that could be generated from proof-of-stake. So now let's dig deeper into proof-of-stake. What is it? Proof of stake, it states that a person can mine or validate block transactions according to how many coins they hold. This means that the more coins owned by a miner, the more mining power they have. So, now just in general, if you think of cryptocurrencies as being things that people like who maybe starting off are computer nerds, people who are slightly anti government, Maybe people who just don't trust government, people who saw the dangers that happened from the 2008 housing crash crisis stuff, not a big fan of banks too big to fail type stuff, people who may be often libertarian or even anarcho economist centric people, Uh, people who believe in personal property rights, personal freedoms, basically leave me alone and I can do anything unless I cause harm to others, in which case reel me in type of mentality and i think a lot of these things are consistent with what motivates people to get involved in crypto there's also a lot of people that are in crypto just to make a lot of money and unfortunately the wise outlive most of the coins that are pump and dump scams or just items that are made with very little value attached uh, for the purpose of making a lot of money quickly but wisdom would say that good things are worth the effort that good things are tough to accomplish and often take time and that being shrewd and intelligent in your field and focusing on things that you enjoy and are good at will eventually pay off better than anything that was attained too easily and too quickly. I think these are fair assertions to things. So a lot of people that are old school proof of work uh, are very concerned about things like not just 51% attack for Security reasons to a network, but 51% attack in that the network could be operating correctly and a valid investment, a valid resource, a valid technology, but they would tend to not trust those who are majoritively in charge. Um, The other area that I think is a very valid concern, in fact, it was brought up today on uh, the 27th of July in a committee dealing specifically with cryptocurrencies in our Congress. And one of the valid things that was brought up is that there should be a little bit more understanding and thus concern about the miners. And I think that all of us should be willing to agree that we need to know the who behind the process. The thing is that it's not nearly as hidden or anonymous as many would pretend. So I'm sorry, but if there are, you know, we are deep enough into the stages of proof of work, which is really the one that's going to be under fire through all of this, that the significant coins require significant investment and electricity use in order to mine and win Bitcoins. Okay, so you're not hiding your $10 million mining farm in your basement, and nobody has any idea that you're the one that's going to have 3% of the mining power. It does not work that way. Five years ago, six years ago, it was much easier for somebody to over-invest in a segment of the Bitcoin mining process. And there are very few people that were, very few people, very few companies that were a concern compared to any of the concerns that would be more like what countries do we trust? And it seems very logical to me that the solution to that is for more countries to get involved. You know, for things that countries approve budgets of hundreds of millions of dollars that we, the taxpayers, never get to see Uh, exactly what those things were spent on, you know, the claims are that we do, but we don't, we don't. Um, There are things that go into slush funds and hidden areas of the economy that we never fully understand or even know where the money went. But this is something that is already understood by and large as digital gold, something that is a very important store of value, no matter how you cut it, whether Bitcoin can be used to transact, it can, whether Bitcoin can be used more integrated into society it can but is it the best one probably not for some reasons i'm not a bitcoin maximalist but i'm a realist to crypto that if you're going to understand anything about cryptocurrency if you had to choose one bitcoin is the one you need to understand ethereum there's a good argument to say that maybe you need to know more about ethereum than bitcoin but i don't think we're quite there yet so anyway Speaking of which, Ethereum is going to be the most popular proof of stake when they shift over to Ethereum 2.0. More about proof of stake. So just all of that segue to say that uh, consensus building and who controls the mining are at the center of a lot of people's concerns, and it should be. Proof of stake. Cryptocurrency miners can mine or validate block transactions based on the amount of coins a miner holds. Proof of stake was created as an alternative to proof of work which is the original consensus algorithm in blockchain technology used to confirm transactions and add new blocks to the chain. Proof of stake is seen as less risky in terms of the potential for miners to attack the network as it structures compensation in a way that makes an attack less advantageous for the miner. And I think that that is debatable. I think that's the reason that proof of stake is seen as safer, less risky. But I think that when... You have a personal cost, electricity, per se, cost of equipment. It is not a good incentive for you to attack the thing that can reward you for that cost. Whereas staking, the idea is that if it's the coins that you own that you're protecting, then you don't want to unfairly attack something by having more of the asset that is a value to you. We're kind of talking about the same thing. If you value the use of your hardware and your electricity, then you're not very likely to want to stab yourself in the foot that way either. But there's other elements to how the consensus is one here. I personally believe that we want decentralization by means of groups of people mining and the locations where they live. And part of that protection, unfortunately, ultimately is going to be weighed just as heavily by the support that nations give to the process. The more that governments allow the networks to run, even if they want to hand pick places that are the best energy sources for them and, you know, all the incentives, carbon credits, all the different things that are going to happen, whether we like them or not. If governments can become a friend to the technology, then even they can utilize the benefits of that aspect of the economy better. And I think that what we're going to find is that if CBDCs are not used for data collection, but rather used as the fluidity in and out of markets, then liquidity is not necessarily a bad thing. I just, I personally have a natural distrust of why intention's behind. And I think that when the CCP is the one leading the way with the digital yuan, they're the first major CBDC that is working with tens of millions of people. Uh, That's probably not the model of freedom because they're not a network of freedom. They're not a country of freedom. Uh, The people can be wonderful people. There can be wonderful areas of academia. There can be wonderful areas of business, innovation. Certainly one of the more hardworking and efficient sectors in the world, but there is a government that you should rightly not trust. Understanding proof of stake. The proof of stake was created as an alternative to proof of work, designed to tackle inherent issues in the latter. Currently, only altcoins use the proof-of-stake concept, and that's logical enough because an altcoin is defined as anything that's not Bitcoin. When a transaction is initiated, the transaction data is fitted into a block with a maximum capacity of one megabyte and then duplicated across multiple computers or nodes on the network. The nodes are the administrative body of the blockchain and verify the legitimacy of the transactions in each block. Well, wow, I really like that. That's a great sentence. Let me read that again. The nodes are the administrative body of the blockchain and verify the legitimacy of the transactions in each block. Never need to say that any better or or different. To carry out verification, nodes or miners would need to solve a computational puzzle known as the proof-of-work problem. The first miner to decrypt each block transaction problem gets rewarded a coin. Once a block of transactions has been verified, it is added to the blockchain, a public transparent ledger. How does proof-of-stake address mining power? Mining requires a great deal of computational power. Running cryptographic calculations uses a lot of electricity. Proof-of-stake seeks to address the power consumption of of proof-of-work by attributing mining power to the proportion of coins held by a miner. This way, instead of utilizing energy to answer proof-of-work puzzles, a proof-of-stake miner is limited to mining a percentage of transactions, that is reflective of their ownership stake. For instance, a miner who owns 3% of the coins available can theoretically mine only 3% of the blocks. Now, I'll just go ahead and insert here. You know, I told you I'm going to talk about decentralization, centralization, and consensus, and the economics thereof. And one of the points that I want to make there is that proof-of-stake can have any kind of economic design to the actual issuance of the coins. For instance, they could say, you know, every 30 days we're going to distribute a million coins somewhere and those are going to go to the miners those are going to go to the founders of the project those are going to dump directly onto the exchanges they could also burn coins they could say every however many months every days whatever we're going to erase a certain number of coins with the hope that eventually it will start to increase the value of the coins as we go along um, you could go the doge direction coin. And just continue issuing more and more coins. It's kind of meant to be a joke. So, you know, if Bitcoin is based on a capped value of 21 million coins that are likely to become very expensive over time, uh, certainly going from a fraction of a penny to $64,000 is an example of that. Coins that have a limited cap are likely to increase in value as a fewer of them are available in the network overall on the market. And coins like Dogecoin, unless that mechanism is completely changed for investor purposes only, then it's going to constantly get diluted. And the only way that value can be, you know, the actual market value can go up, the price of it can go up, is if people do short-term pumps and then leave it alone. So that volume is very low entering into a pump. And then the only amount of volume taking place is highly manipulated to keep the cost where it left off without dropping. So the value of the network is also part of the incentive. If you think of somebody being able to buy enough Ethereum to own 5% of the network and stake those, and there's nobody else coming close to 5%, there's 4%ers, 3%ers, 2%ers, then as you acquire more Ethereum, you could potentially stake more coins. So the question would be then if you have something that is a limited supply or if they keep issuing If they keep issuing then by what rate there's going to be different incentives for them to sell coins at market versus holding them and adding to the stake risks of network attack bitcoin uses proof of work and is susceptible to a potential what they call a tragedy of commons which is a future point in time when there will be fewer bitcoin miners available due to little to no block reward for mining the only fees that will be earned will come from transactional fees which is also can diminish, you know, the transaction fees will diminish over time. Users uh, will opt to pay lower fees for their transactions. Okay. These things being true, if Bitcoin is valued in 10 years, the way that it has been pa- valued for the past, almost 12, let's just say 12 years. Cause I really, one of these days I'm going to look at what the actual day that it launched was again, uh, 2009, what December 3rd, September 9th. I have different numbers floating around my head. You guys tell me, tell me in the comment section. Yeah. If Bitcoin is valued in 10 years the way that it has been for the past 12, the likelihood that more and more people and especially companies and uh, countries that are involved in the network using it as part of our larger economy are going to purchase nodes and run them. And you can run them on solar. You could run them on, you know, by 10 years from now, are there going to be better green energy sources? Probably. I hope so. Seems like there should be. Efficiency is a good thing. Manipulating people's concerns is a bad thing. But you can run a node without the expectation of being able to mine a block. You're contributing to the safety and security of the network. And there are thousands and thousands of individuals running nodes. Tiny little thing you plug in, let it boot up, let it catch up to the downloading the whole ledger and then it's set to go. It is part of the validation network. It is there to help confirm things and to bring security to the network. People are willing to contribute their time, their equipment, and their electricity just to knowing that they are protecting their investment. It seems like a really low entry level thing when you have, let's say, you have spent a few years acquiring a few bitcoins And it starts to go up to being a million dollars or more per Bitcoin. Uh, Remember, we're talking about the crypto that most people know, and there will never be more than 21 million of them. Is it worth a few bucks in electricity to protect your few million dollars? I think most people would say yes. Certainly businesses that are transacting in Bitcoin might be willing to spend a few bucks in electricity to protect their network. With fewer miners than required mining for coins, the network becomes more vulnerable to a 51% attack. 51% attack is when a miner or mining pool controls 51% of the computational power of the network and creates fraudulent blocks of transactions for themselves. Now, if Bitcoin peters out and stops being important over time more and more and more so, my thought is that 51% becomes a, more of a concern for something that matters more. If it is the big deal, Can you imagine that out of the 179 some United Nations countries, is it not possible to assume that 10, 12, 14, 30 or 40 of them would be willing to spend a few tens of millions of dollars to contribute to a network to prevent a 51% attack? Of course they would. Although it would be difficult and expensive to accumulate 51%, a miner with a 51% stake in the coin would not have it in their best interest to attack a network that they hold a majority share of. So if you frequently ask questions, proof of stake, what is it? It's a concept that a person can mine or validate block transactions according to how many coins they hold. Which coins use proof of stake? There's PeerCoin, NXT, BlackCoin, ShadowCoin. Um, I'm not sure how old this list is, but Tezos, uh, A-T-O-M, Atom or Cosmos. Dash, I believe, is a proof of stake. Neo, I think, is proof of stake. If you go looking, you'll find, you know, let's say that you're interested in only investing in proof of stake coins. Go looking, you'll find them. So could Bitcoin change to proof of stake? Logistically, there's a debate that it is near impossible. Bitcoin will change to proof of stake because of some technical challenges involved in the transition, which would really disadvantage those that have put the most effort into Bitcoin right now. However, in theory, many, including the founder of Swiss cryptocurrency broker, Bitcoin Suisse, predict that eventually Bitcoin will move to a proof of stake model. Who knows? It's that kind of thing is going to come down to legislation and the programmers, uh, Bitcoin core, the developers. So do we know proof of stake, proof of work stuff pretty well? Um, If you don't, um, I encourage you to just go out there and research. Don't give up on understanding this. Uh, There's lots of people doing beginner friendly, very visual um, intro to type videos and most of them do a pretty good job. But also, it's fascinating. Go get interested. This is interesting stuff. Speaking of which, you are listening to Crypto Gordon Freeman and the Club 21M podcast. This is episode four. If you would please, pretty please with sugar on top and mining all the good things for people everywhere, would you please subscribe? Would you please like, ring the bell, share this with others? Moving forward, decentralization is the, probably the highest value that people who are into cryptocurrency would hold. Uh, It is seen almost as a moral value to cryptocurrency. Because centralization leads to abused power in banking and governments, decentralization is seen as the miracle invention of cryptocurrency. The most amazing breakthrough is to be able to have a network that is not run by one guy, that you can have... Something as powerful as gold that Bill Gates cannot accumulate all of it. You have something as powerful as a gold maker, the golden goose. (laughs) You have something as powerful as the operations that find gold that cannot become so powerful that they're the only one. The network itself is so hard to game that if anybody ever finds a bug that could mess it up, it is so unlikely that they're not going to immediately introduce it to the network to have it fixed that at this point in time 12 years in there are very few people that even would be able to find a bug that would not already be on the side of the mentality that they're hacking in order to make sure that it stays secure so decentralization is the fact that you have these computers running in the network all lending a hand to make sure that things remain secure And if Bitcoin becomes so overly regulated that it no longer can do what it's meant to do, then likely we're going to see more and more challenges in anything, including proof of stake, being able to overcome the same types of networking hurdles, because it's not going to be about the technology it's going to be about what technology is allowed. Let's not live in that world where we think that we, the rule makers, can make better rules than allowing something that truly could be somewhat democratized. So obviously the opposite in this thinking of decentralization would be centralization and centralization and Bitcoin is not our friend. But there's also, you know, there's something that I, Crypto Gordon Freeman, is always pointing out, but not to be confused with the harsh and sometimes idiotic voice of our legislators. Governments in power tend to want to stay in power. People that pay themselves well like to vote to pay themselves even more well, which rhymes with Orwell. But uh (laughs) Now, I'd like to make a point, too, that most people, I would say, even as much as 98 percent, 98.7 percent of people are never going to own Bitcoin unless they buy it. Okay, buying with your hard earned dollars in a country where you're allowed to do so. Why should there be anybody telling you that you cannot do that thing? Okay, so in addition, you can also earn Bitcoin by charging a fee for whatever it is that you do. Bitcoin. It's not real easy to do that if you're just starting out in something, and it's not easy to find tons of people willing to part with it. If they do know Bitcoin and own some, they're not likely to want to get rid of a lot of it. So I think El Salvador introduces a really interesting level to this stuff since they have passed a law to make Bitcoin legal tender. And we're going to see I'm going to guess at least five other countries will make it before the legislation gets ridiculous, before our regulators try to ban Bitcoin and be all CCP up in here. Um, (laughs) So centralization in political terms means one thing, um, in society means another, and in networks like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, all these different protocols that are being used, it means something slightly different, but it all comes down to the people that are involved If you can have too much power, too much money, uh, too many good resource opportunities weighted in their favor, then there can be a centralization of power, meaning that let's just look at the economy side of things, that if somebody is advantageously able to acquire more Bitcoin than everybody else, then when the whole world wants them and they have, let's say, 20% of them or something crazy like that that would give them an enormous amount of leverage against everybody else. And maybe that's not such a good thing. So with proof of stake, the idea being that really and truly, if you're already a multi-billionaire, you could jump right in and stake a whole bunch of Ethereum right now. And your mining operation has a huge advantage. I think that it's fair to say that proof of stake does not eliminate the electricity use concerns. You can, just because proof of stake does not rely upon The difficulty setting of something like Bitcoin that is just going to use more and more energy as it goes along, that's a fair and valid argument against proof of work, is the concern about just how much electricity it uses. But with proof of stake, it doesn't mean that they couldn't increase the difficulty algorithm. It might be a necessary mechanism of controlling centralization and proof of stake. Another thing could be that they might have to program in certain levels of control in order to even out where staking is taking place, how much is centralized. There's a lot of concerns involved. But the third aspect of these things that I'm fascinated by, and you should be too, is consensus. Consensus of the network, just based on what these things are designed for, think of consensus as being the network agrees. The network agrees that a transaction a transaction is valid. The network agrees when something came in. The network agrees at the cost of something. The network agrees to allow something in to confirm it. The network agrees that this has all been done correctly. Put it in the ledger. The network agrees that somebody's trying to game this thing. Turn it down. Let this one time out. This one was done wrong. All these different things that are built into the code to make sure that all the stuff is done right. Are computers and those who own the computers giving consensus to something? Okay, there's that. Then there's consensus like really more political and societal concepts like democratization and just general democracy. Well, if you wanted 99% of people to vote in favor of something, how much different is groupthink consensus different than centralization? Okay. Get with me here. Centralization, we think of it in terms of power and control and and gaming and network uh, security problems, tyranny in governments, these types of things. Centralization is bad because one company gains a monopoly in too many different areas, just something that becomes too powerful. But consensus can essentially be centralization in a whole different form. You can have philosophical centralization. You can have a societal centralization what if enough people can be gamed into believing something through a false sense of logic that is by the laws of nature and science and some would even say reason or moral code not true consensus may not necessarily be the right thing for certain things so then the question becomes should you hard code in practical deterrence from the wrong kind of consensus So really, in these networks, consensus really means that you're agreeing to the right terms so that the network works correctly. But there's also consensus through voting. And it's certainly one of the bigger deals in proof of stake in that earning a certain number of coins earns you voting rights. And what are the kinds of things that can be voted upon? Well, only the things that are being presented. Now, whoever's programming the code to this coin and its network can say, now we don't want to need that they could say we're only going to allow people who stake to vote on certain things that we've already agreed to and those things that we agree to you know we can listen to user feedback we can not listen to user feedback we can say you know you have a choice of a or b for things that you're allowed to stake and vote upon that we're perfectly fine with a or b we just want to know what you think so consensus building can be important where if you have something that is an important feature of the coin that some people are not going to go along with and others might, then you really need to get the feedback of the network itself. Not what people say online, not what people claim in forums, not what people on YouTube bank videos about, but the people who are actually going to be putting their time or their equipment or their electricity or all of it, including their coins and their money, you need to know what future path they're willing to take with you. So consensus is important in that sense. But keep in mind that there is still a balance of control, really and truly, no matter who has made this stuff, until you get so deep in machine learning that, Lord help us, that the computers know things about the stuff that's better than what we understand, and maybe is not better in the way that we would determine it, but what makes only mathematical sense to them. So... Consensus can be very important if you need to shift from one design to another, uh, change protocols, improve a bug, change security, reduce risk, change the value of something, change the uh, lots of different principles. You need the network to agree with you. What happens if they don't? They can choose to soft or hard fork into something else. Ethereum versus Ethereum Classic is a perfect example of this. It's a classic version of this where there was a terrible bug found and they had to roll things back and they made a bigger, better, stronger Ethereum, some would say that they didn't like what they changed with Ethereum. So let's fix the thing that was a bug. Let's not change Ethereum to not have the bug and turn it into something that is slightly different. A lot of people like Ethereum classic, which is much smaller, but people still mine it. And I don't see it going much in the direction of Ethereum, but they're trying to build things in Ethereum classic that could, compete with Ethereum, but I don't think so. I think part of the problem with that, I'm not going to go down that road too far, but one of the things is that if you want to compete with Bitcoin, don't call yourself Bitcoin diamond, Bitcoin black, Bitcoin gold, Bitcoin cash, Bitcoin, did I say diamond? I don't know. If you want to brand something that's better than Bitcoin, don't, I mean, you're not going to name your American car that you want to compete with Chevy, um, you know, the Chevy plus, (laughs) So, you know, don't give them the benefit of, you know, free advertising that you're just stacking something new on top of is kind of stupid. Sorry. But all that to say is that we have examples where people within the network are, uh, I'm not going to go along with that. And they decide to stay where they are and they don't join you in the network. And now you not only have a branding issue and technicalities that have two different things going in two different directions, but you potentially also now have competition. And now that regulators are so focused on the problem of the money that is working more efficiently in certain crypto systems, while there is risk, there is fraud, there is scam, there is ransomware, there is all this other stuff, very small fraction of the drug lord and um, money laundering issue that is thrown in there that is, you know, 20 times worse in cash around the world, of course, because that's a lot harder to track and a lot easier to move around and launder. You? But as these things are concern, a concern to lawmakers, they're going to be paying attention to all this stuff. And I think that we are getting very close to the time where even though new projects are going to keep coming out, the scrutiny is going to happen more often and The rules are going to make it tougher for somebody to launch a new project. They're certainly not going to be able to operate outside of the laws as easily as they have many years back. But also, the governments are going to choose favorites. It's already happening. And I would argue that we, the people in the space who love the projects we love and we want to invest where our money goes, we don't mind more education at the government level, but we don't want more intervention. Very few people are begging for more regulation. In fact, the people that already have certain approval regulation, you know, from a bank level, from seeking bank charters, from, uh, for example, Kraken is, is going into the banking business and they want to integrate their crypto right into your bank accounts, which is fantastic. That's where all of this will end up anyway. It's just that the Wells Fargo's and Bank of America's and the HSBC, is that right? The large branch banks are going to want the small guys to, not really get to corner that market until they also have the opportunity to do so. But you have things like Uphold, you have Coinbase, Kraken, Gemini, and PayPal uh, that are allowing people to have direct purchasing power to crypto. And one of the things that you think about this is that you've already been KYC'd, know your customer, happen to tell your name or address, your social security uh, proof of uh, banking stuff have your bank account connected be willing to fill out tax forms all this stuff so it's a very small step to just simply add cryptocurrency to those things most of the options out there are not going to be increasing diversity they're going to be shrinking it so you always run a risk that if you're the next ethereum and you run into a bad bug and you have to change things and you have a hard fork of ethereum classic in your coins example, you have the classic version or the light version or whatever, and they do a hard fork, um, there's a very good chance that the governments are going to feel that they are entitled to make a judgment call on which one is the good one. And they can very well, even if it's not something that they can pass into law, they can certainly put pressure on places like Coinbase and Kraken and the others uh, to say, we're going to be looking into this in case you're trying to decide whether to keep it listed or not. And we have seen these things happen. There are uh, very quickly exchanges decide to move very quickly against a coin, halting deposits, withdrawals, freezing them, uh, or stopping one direction or another, or just simply halting trading until decisions are made on legal grounds. Um, XRP from Ripple was a very big example of that. Um, And this was sheer market manipulation. You cannot make an argument against it. The government timed something that had been going on for years, just when the market was picking up, just when it was beneficial to XRP. There is a real battle going on back and forth, and I'm not going to go into that deeper. But just to say that it's not like just the small coins are susceptible to getting phased out. The big ones uh, can get hurt by this stuff too. So throw this into your understanding and your knowledge about decentralization and centralization that the exchanges are not to be minimalized in that process. And there are centralized exchanges and decentralized exchanges. And if you're wanting to have more control as a government over markets, you're either going to phase out, make illegal or require the same KYC AML of decentralized exchanges as you do centralized. I cannot imagine them just simply allowing decentralized exchanges to continue to exist. The only good upside to that is if they're just simply slow. If governments are just slow to make moves, the market can resolve market issues itself. But overall, Cryptocurrency exchanges are about centralization. Now, it doesn't mean that you have all bad guys. It's not like it's all bad actors here. But there's always going to be a back and forth of investigations and probes and pushing for opening more documents and will you please dox all your customers and all these types of things. It's happening all the time. My opinion is it's kind of gross. But yes, that's my opinion. And I'm sure lots of people are going to tell me how unpopular and all the problems with that. I hope that this has brought to you a proper introductory definition of proof of work proof of stake and the main issues i think in security and centralization decentralization and consensus and a few thoughts popped on top for measure so i hope that you've gained something from this if you have please subscribe share like ring the bell And of all things, please share. Please let people know that you're listening to this guy and sometimes he actually says something that matters. If you really dislike me, then click the thumbs down and tell me so in the comments. If you really find this interesting, write in the comments. I want to start hearing from people. So super special, fantastic. Uh, You'll see the links to the Investopedia pages in the description. Thank you so much. And for now, Crypto Gordon Freeman out.